Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to the Scott and Jai Show on Radio X. Giddy up. Where we are all about lending an ear. Trying to move Tell on, Tell me mate. how you really feel. I love you, mate. I love you. No matter which way you go. Look. Sharing stories. But no, I have ended up in the emergency room after with a broken... And helping each other out. Called you, big fella. Yeah, call- said we need to go look around the town. Called for reinforcement. Yeah. That's the way. Brilliant. My new boss will probably be listening and going, thanks, Jai. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m., Live on air. Catch the highlights 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. weeknights. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join the conversation. We are all about mates helping mates. So whether you're battling the black dog or just need a friendly chat, this is the place to be. The phone number is 074994 or connect with us on social media at The Scott and Jai Show. We want to hear your story because, remember, it's not weak to speak. I just want to let everyone know that it's not weak to speak. I just want to let everyone know that it ain't weak to speak. So come on, join us for some good yarns. Quick side note, I love the dirty mo. Oh, I love it too. What does mum say? There's no dry here, mate. Hang it out. Laughs. Oh, but it was. It's quiet at home. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even a few tears. Let's tackle life together, one story at a time. Because together, we can make a difference. This is The Scott and Jai Show, where everyone's story matters. Five, four, three, two, one. Are you ready? Tequila shots all around. Tequila shots? Tequila makes my clothes come off. From what I've seen of their records, the only thing they do contribute is mayhem and chaos. No, I'm chaos and he's mayhem. We're a double act. Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. Every Sunday, 10 a.m. Yeah, every Sunday, 10 a.m. Oh, I can't wait. Welcome to Scott and Jai Podcast. Well, good morning. Morning, mate. How are you this morning? Good, mate. Good, good. How's your week been? Oh, a bit hectic, a bit busy, but, um, you know, it's been good. It's always good to keep busy. What about yours? Mate, I've been, um, I've been everywhere, man. I would, took a trip to Bundaberg to start the week um, and went to Mackay. Oh, Mactown. Mactown. Uh, and then I finished my week up in, in Brisbane. Got back uh, late last night. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. Which was fun. Uh, speaking of um, going to Mackay... Uh, you met someone famous uh, this week, Jai. Yeah, Brad Cox, um, the country singer. I have never seen a grown man turn to water. Oh, look, mate, it happens to the best of us when we meet people we love. <laughs> uh, Little man crush going on there, but that's okay. How good. It's all natural. That's it. So just to give you um, a little bit on last week's episode, so we had 40 downloads via our Podbean platform, uh, and those people ranged uh, 31 people downloaded in Australia, six people in New Zealand, and two people in the United States. 28 people from Queensland, two in Western Australia, one in New South Wales. There you go, it's slowly getting bigger. Shout out to the 40 people who downloaded our podcast. And if you want to get uh, involved with our podcast, our email address is scottandjipodcast at outlook.com.au. You can look us up on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the Scott and Jai Podcast. Real confusing. And you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Samsung, and much, much more. This is Scott and Jai's Sporting Wrap-Up. All right, let's crack into the sport. Jai. Yes, mate? You're a fan of the Broncos? Oh, through and through, mate. Home team right there. Yeah, so you'd be glad that they're going through to the next oh, round? Yeah, they're there. Oh, I reckon they're going to win it this year. Yeah? Yeah. You got your money on the Bronx? Oh, 100%. You know, they've had a rough couple of years, but, um, you know, I reckon this is their year they they're coming back up the ladder. So the Bronx won 26-0 to the Storm on Friday night. The next heartbreaking 
score. Uh, the Panthers beat the Warriors 32-6. So the Warriors go on and play next week. Up the Waz! Up the Waz. I cannot believe how far that's gone. Yeah, I know. It's pretty crazy. Watching that on YouTube this morning. And the Roosters beat the Sharks. Uh, Roosters 13, Sharks 12. And later on this afternoon, the Knights take on the Raiders to go through. The Rugby World Cup. Another another uh, I told you so moment from Jai. What, uh, the Australia one last night? Australia. Australia beat uh, Georgia 35-15. And the mighty All Blacks, they went down to France. France 27, New Zealand 13. What a sad loss that is. Uh, everyone in New Zealand probably would have broken down crying by, by those results. And if you're still following the Rugby World Cup, uh, Italy beat N- Namibia by 52-8. to Ireland beat Romania 82 to eight, England beat Argentina twenty-seven to ten. The next two games are Japan versus Chile, South Africa versus Scotland, and Wales versus Fiji. Scott and Jai, what's on your mind this week? Uh, today is World Suicide Prevention Day. So the 10th of September each year aims to focus attention on issues, reducing stigma and raising awareness among organisations, governments and the public, uh, giving a singular message that suicides are preventable and that is creating hope through action is there is the WHO's messaging. And we are going to put it up on our Facebook page too as well. Hashtag is World Suicide Prevention Day. Now, Jai, this is something pretty close to your heart, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I've recently lost a friend to suicide and um, I've lost friends over the past couple of years to suicide and I think it's something that needs constant work on um, helping change that stigma around mental health and encouraging people to talk out and um, not be afraid to just seek help, um, whether it's through a counsellor or just a mate. It's something that I hold very close to my heart and I hope to continue doing some work closely towards helping change the stigma around mental health and the black dog. And that's exactly why we put this podcast together, was to give people a platform to, to share their stories, come and talk to us. Uh, and just let people know out there that if you are suffering, that there are plenty of people out out there in in the same situations. Yeah, I think everybody has their own struggles in life, um, and you know, no one's better than anybody else. And um, the more there is support out there, and the more people talk about it, the more change I think we'll see in the near future. That's my personal opinion. I've got some stats here from from Lifeline. Did you know that every year over 1 million Australians reach out to Lifeline for support? I'd believe that. And Lifeline's crisis support line uh, receives a call every 30 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty hectic. And there are 3,500 crisis supporters uh, working with Lifeline so that no person in Australia has to face their darkest moments alone. 8.6 Australians die each day by suicide. Uh, that's more than double the road toll. Well, I think that's a sad thing, you know. Like, it's, um, you see car crashes and stuff, and it's always on the news, but you never hear about how many lives are lost to suicide, you know, especially with males. Um, and not being sexist, but there's a lot more males that go through the struggle, and they're still going through that phase of not being able to talk up because they, you know, they grew up around, just rub some dirt on it and move on, and then it just mm. builds up, and then, you know, it's too late. And so actually, one of the stats here is 75% of those who take their own. Uh, lives are males. Um, there is also an unknown number of Australians who attempt suicide every year, with some estimates suggesting this figure may be over 65,000 people, which is, is scary stats. The suicide rate in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is twice of that of non-Indigenous people, and people in rural populations are two times more likely to take their life by suicide. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, these these are yeah, these stats here they absolutely blow. Like I'm, I was sitting here reading these last night, getting getting prepped, and um, you know, I just I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know what to say as I was thinking of all these stats and thinking of all those people that are out there, you know, suffering in silence. That's the scary part. No, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know. You could walk past someone in the street or someone that you know even and, you know, have a chat to them and got a smile on their face and, 
you don't actually realise unless someone says it to you what what someone's actually facing in their own lives. Mm. And that's why the walk and talk that we participated in last Sunday. Which is Saturday. Saturday? Yeah. They're doing a collab this coming weekend, which I think... We'll be there for that one. Um, but those sort of organisations uh, are great because you know it gets people talking. It gets people talking and it makes them feel comfortable to open up to others. And that's what it's all about. It's And again, I say it again, and I will scream it from the rooftop. Um, that is exactly what has given us the motivation and the drive to do this podcast because we want to hear from those people who have gone through some shit situations in their lives. And, you know, we want to get people on to share their stories so that people don't feel so alone. Yeah, 100%. If you're feeling affected by this content, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636, Lifeline on 131 114, or Men's Line Australia on 1300 789 978. You're listening to the Scott and Jai podcast. Now it's time for Scott and Jai's story time. Real stories from real people. And if you're feeling affected by today's stories, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Lifeline on 131-114, Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 and of course Men's Line Australia on 1300 789 978. And on today's story time... Uh, we are going to introduce to you somebody who gave birth extremely early, at uh, 26 weeks. Her name is Katie. She also happens to be my partner in crime, uh, my beautiful partner. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. How are you going? Yes. We're going good. We're going good. So you're here to share your story. I am. Well, actually, it's sort of our ours. story. Yeah, it's our story. Our story. We had tried sort of a great deal of time, hey, to have our first child together. Mm. And to an extent, I think I put my body through, like we went through IVF drugs and things like that to try and get things happening. That obviously led to falling pregnant. We were all very excited and everything was brilliant. We told our family and there was big parties and all this kind of thing. It was fantastic. Like we were, it, was, it was really, really good. I ended up having, for lack of a better term, the pregnancy from hell, like... I had hyperemesis, which anyone that's ever been through that knows how much it sucks. It's basically when everyone knows about morning sickness, but you don't stop at all. I'm pretty sure they knew our names yeah. at the hospital. <laughs> well, they knew our by name. Yeah, I right. saw Katie coming and went, start, oh, here we go again. Start paying rent up at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> There was that, and then there was, you know, I had kidney infections and all of this kind of thing, and it was just, it was really, really terrible. Um, I was bedridden for a whole lot of it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I cannot wait for this pregnancy to be over. And that was probably one of my biggest regrets, because about a week later, I was on my way to work. I used to work in the city in Brisbane, and I was on the train, and I stepped off the train, and my water had broken. I didn't realise this at the time. I thought I was like, you know, I just peed myself a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's because, I mean, it happens, right? Yeah. Well, we've all been there once or twice. <laughs> Some more than others. <laughs> anyway, I'd gone to work, you know, sorted myself out. I'd gone to work and everything like that. And it wasn't until about 3 o'clock that afternoon where, like, it started getting quite, pretty painful. And I was convincing myself that it was just Braxton here because I was fine because I was at the hospital, like, the night before. And they said, you're fine, go home. It's just Braxton Hicks. So I was convincing myself of this until yep. it got particularly painful. And then, um, yeah, the following morning he was born. Went up to the hospital and they tried to stop it and all this sort of thing. But but the scary part about being at the hospital that first time, like when Katie got off the train and the waters broke, the scary part about that is you go up to the hospital and they give you the whole speech because at that stage he was only 25 weeks. Mm. Yep. And they give you the whole just the, the whole speech, right? And it's like it was, a disclaimer. <laughs> it was the most depressing thing I have ever been through where they said, if your baby comes and it's at 25 weeks, there is nothing we can do. Yeah, right. Well, it wasn't It wasn't so much that there was nothing. It was just he had slim chances. The I think the stranger part about all that is, is I barely heard that conversation. 
Yeah. I think it'd be one of them things where your mind's going through so much at once. Uh, mm. A lot of it, a lot of what the doctors would saying would be just really in wish, one wash, ear and noise. out the other. Yeah. yeah, in one ear and out the other. And I still remember the day. Like I remember the day where Katie had gone to work, and I got the phone call to say the baby's coming. Like you need to come. Coming yeah, it was out. one of my workmates that rang you. Yeah, and, and from memory, you were across town in a, in an interview at the time. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, I had a job interview. But this again just adds contents to it. Is the first time Katie went to hospital, and it wasn't the first time she'd gone to hospital either. I actually rang my boss at the time, and I said to him, "You know, I've got to go. Katie's in hospital again. Um, you know, I've got to be there." F- for her and the options that he gave me was stay and do your job or leave and never come back. So I just went, fuck you, see you later. Yeah. And um, so at the time, you were 25 weeks and six days. Yeah. At that point. At that um, day, yeah. And I'd pretty much just gone, I was in an interview, job mm, interview. Yeah. Um, that I didn't get in the end. Um, <laughs> Might be because you ran out on them. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember getting that call thing into myself. The whole prematurity thing didn't go through my head. It was just like, oh, oh God, like this is happening. What, what do we do? So I – and I'm not the smallest of guys either too. So no. from – if and if you know Brisbane City, I was in the top floor uh, near, in a building near Central Station and I ran from the top of that building all the way down to Central Train Station, jumped on the train, got off at – South Banks Station because you were at the Marta I was at the Marta Hospital, yeah. And then continued all dressed up. Like I had business shirt, business pants, business shoes, tie on, and I sprinted and ran straight for the Lady Salento Children's Hospital. Yeah, right. I've seen you run once or twice. and Again, not a pretty sight. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. And then I remember getting to the top floor and saying and asking the lady. Yeah, because that's right, because maternity was on, is on the top floor, but... Labour and delivery is actually down on the bottom. Who designs a hospital like that? <laughs> what a dumb idea yeah, that is. at the top and then delivery at the bottom. Well, it makes sense, but... Um, so I've run to the top of the maternity... Uh, to the top, and I've done the whole... <gasps> as I'm going. And they've gone, oh, she's down in delivery. And I went, pardon? And just froze. <laughs> absolutely froze. Oh, You're in the delivery yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the delivery room, and I was sort of just waiting for you to arrive, because... Like, when I'd gotten my workmate at the time to ring you, like, you, you didn't answer. And I was like, that's okay. Just keep bombing his phone. He will answer and he will be here. So I was waiting for you to get there. And they were sort of setting me all up. I got IVs coming out of just about every place that they could possibly put one for all kinds of different things. There was, you know, steroids and antibiotics and such things. And there was drugs to try and stop the labor. And there was a whole lot of people everywhere. Like I did not get left alone. And I know that that's pretty standard. You usually have a midwife or something like that around, Mm. but I mean, like my room was full of people at, you know, four or five at the minimum (laughs) at a time for about 12 hours. (laughs) Yeah. There was no privacy or anything like that, but yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really listening to the doctors. It's like, it's almost like I couldn't really hear them. Like I could hear what they were saying, but it wasn't registering what was going on because Birth, as anyone that's ever given birth would know, it's a very primal thing. Yeah. It's it's not something that you can ever, I guess, lull your way through or convince your mind otherwise of what is happening. Like, you, it, your body takes over. Your body takes over your mind and it just does its thing. Yeah. You, you have to go along for the ride. You have no choice. Yeah. And I think, like, just the added stress, too, I think that'd play a big part, too, with, like, you know, you're trying to stay calm. You're still waiting for Scott to get in there and... Mm. Now, there's so many add-ons to what you're already going through, knowing the, that yeah, hundred percent coming early. The biggest part I was panicking about, panicking about was Scott was going to miss it. Mm. Which I, I think, I like, personally, I can't talk like I'm not a dad. Hopefully, one day. Um, I think that's an exciting thing for both parents to go through together. Mm. Is to bring a new life into this. Oh, world. it's an experience. That's for sure. It's yeah. gross oh. too. Can't <laughs> <laughs> <the> G-rated. <laughs> It's like watching your favourite pub burn down. <laughs> they rebuild it. It's never the same again. The bar stool, never in the same spot. Anyway, but I still remember, you know, getting down to the delivery room, ripping that door open and just going, oh, no baby yet. 
and then then giving us the sort of a thank the Lord, <laughs> and then yeah, and then them I guess giving us that morbid speech again. Mm. So we got that morbid speech. It was the neonatal doctor that came down. Yeah, we got given the morbid speech twice, twice in two days. Mm. It's, it was a lot to I guess take take in. I know at the time, Katie was just you zoned out, mm. but um. I still remember the doctor saying to me, you need to listen so that when she comes to, you got to remember the stuff. And I'm like, yep, okay, right, mm. I understand. And then I know they gave you, they gave you so many drugs to stop, mm. to stop the baby yeah. coming and it just it Huge completely amount wiped of drugs. her out. But it, that was part of the reason that it carried on for so long because I think had I just progressed naturally, he probably would have been born later that night, but because they tried to stop it, I was waters broken at 9am that morning and he wasn't delivered till like 6 o'clock the following morning. So yeah, it was right. a long haul. Yeah. It was a long haul. It was a marathon. <laughs> and it was just like a normal childbirth. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the biggest things actually that for a long time really irked me when people would be like, oh, but you only had a small baby, wouldn't have had to push very hard. No, okay, I understand that. I understand he's only small. And he shot out and they caught him in a plastic bag at the end of the table because he's so little. However... You still need to get to 10 centimetres to yeah. give birth. Yeah. You still have to follow the exact same chain as every other person that's ever birthed. Yeah. Whether they come out a whopper like our second son was or tiny like like our first. Yeah. And then uh, as as he came out, I guess, um, like Katie said, they, they had caught him in a plastic bag. So I remember I think you were at 9 centimetres by mm. that point. And they had slipped the plastic bag kind of under a button. It was just like, right, you got a centimetre to go. Um, and then... And I'd just like to elaborate. The plastic bag wasn't for any of their protection. It was for his because at that point of gestation, their skin is still so... It's like it's translucent. It's not yeah. formed yet. So the plastic bag is a sterile thing so that they don't rip skin or anything like that. And it's protected from... Doctors fiddling around and handling the baby as it's born. Yeah. Well, if you're okay with that, we might put a photo up on Facebook or Instagram just to yeah. give people some insight into it. Because you can explain it to the cows come home, yeah, but it's yeah. not until you actually see it. It's very confronting to see Would it. Would you yeah. say that that was the easiest part of the whole process of having him premming? Giving birth? Like that first start of the process to compared to what you had to face. Oh, 100%. Up, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, after he was born, things would like it's. They went from bad to worse to good to bad, and it was an absolute roller coaster for like a year afterwards. Yeah, and like it, he, it still affects him now, just in more minor ways. But yeah, that first twelve months of having a prem kid, holy, would not wish it on anyone. Yeah. So I guess rewind back to the plastic bag, and you know, baby's coming us about a centimeter away. Mm. Um, the doctors and nurses came back in and there was a whole room full of people. Mm. I remember this because there was there's two doctors or three doctors. There were a couple of midwives and there was someone else there. I just can't remember who else happened to be there at the time. I don't know. Couldn't um, tell you. To watch this birth happen. Again, they gave us the speech like, right, he's coming. We, we all we need him. Yeah. yeah, we can't stop it. Um all we need him to do is when he comes out is make a sound. So if he makes a sound, it's 50-50. Because, yeah, at this point, like when when it's in that heat, sort of right at the end there, right before they're born and everything's crazy and the room's filling with people and everyone's getting prepared and everything like that, no one at that point in time was sure if he was alive or not. Yeah. No one knew because I wasn't hooked up to anything at that point. I, I wasn't able to be. He was too small yeah. to read anything. But he made it. So as mm. he was born, they we waited for midnight because at least past 26 weeks, mm. they could actually medically intervene. Um, Which that's changed now. It's 24 now. Yeah, that's good. Mm. That's good. Because no parent should ever be in that position where the day before you're in the hospital yeah. and they're giving you the morbid speech. You yeah. know, like once the baby's born, there's nothing we can do. You yeah. know? That's a hard thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so when he was born, I, he, he came out, they put the wrap around him, 
Um, and they said to me, I remember the, the pretty much the only thing that I remember of that part of what the doctors had said to me that stuck with me all these years is they're like, if you want to see him, look now. And so I sort of did this awkward shuffle up the bed kind of thing and sort of poked my head over my legs to have a look at him. And um, he didn't look like anything. He just looked like this little tiny little itty bitty fetus face because he was. He was mm. only 26 weeks, like wrapped inside this plastic thing, wrapped inside this like half-assed blanket that they just sort of caught him in. And then he made this like little itty bitty noise, didn't he? He went. Yeah, well, the doctors said, yeah, this is it. Like, make a sound. I remember saying, like, Katie and I were both chanting, make a sound, make a sound, make a sound, make a sound. Yes, come on, say something, do something. And then it just, it felt like the whole world had stopped. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, once we'd kind of stopped. In reality, it was probably only about three seconds, but it felt like an eternity. Yeah, it would have felt like so long. And then just all of a sudden. And we both, we both looked at each other and just went. This relief. <sighs> but they then, they whizzed him off to the morgue room, which is like this big steel room. I didn't obviously go and Scott went in there with him. So, so the dad has to follow the, the baby through yeah. for like identification purposes and things like that. And I've been in a morgue once in my life. That room is pretty close to that. So just imagine like a whole room full of steel trays basically yeah right it's, it's all stainless steel and they just had him on this bench and the lady has got her thumb over the top yeah of they've like already a little... got a tube down his throat breathing for him and, and they just with her thumb i was gonna say it's it's a podcast can't see what i'm doing but, but like were... opening and closing a little tube yeah right and i remember asking breathe like, for him. what are you doing Imitating like, oh, the breath. We're, yeah we're just helping him breathe i was like oh okay and then you know, has he got a name and all that sort of stuff. So by that stage, we had agreed on a name, Liam. Mm. Um, and then they weighed him. He weighed kilo? Uh, 980 grams. 980 grams. Sorry, so, 890. My dyslexic ass. Yeah. And he fit. <laughs> and again, I've got pretty big hands, but he fit from my thumb to my pinky finger and his legs hung over the... Hung over the side. Mm. Couldn't touch him, but no, that kind of gives him. you a bit of comparison. And then I was asleep by that point. I'd literally passed, passed out, out <laughs> from yeah. exhaustion. And then they transferred him off to the knee, neonatal ward, mm. and Katie had to go up on the ward. And, yeah, we basically spent the next three months visiting him in a clean, sterile environment. Three and a half, thereabouts. Yeah. About th- three months in NICU, another two, two and a bit weeks in special care. Mm. Yeah. Before yeah. he come home. But it was another, it was almost a week before I could actually touch him after yeah. he was born. And he, even that was only for, because he's very unstable. Like, obviously, all of his organs don't work yet, so he's got yeah. a lot of machines on him. Like doing everything, doing for everything him. for him until he can get big enough to do it himself. And the amount of drugs this kid was on, get his brain to work faster than it was usually a baby's brain would be able to work. Yeah. Which caffeine was one of them. But yeah, did I, you know they give yeah. prem babies caffeine? Pump them full of caffeine. Yeah, because it's a brain stimulant. Yeah, yeah, has the same effect as the, our morning coffee in the morning, except yeah, they yeah. just have like an IV drip. Like, Damn, can I get me one of them. <laughs> I need one. Just fill mine with mother. <laughs> just a little bladder pack that I came to work with. <laughs> and then I, I like I remember that first night where <coughs> Katie was quite anxious because I sat up with Katie because there's nothing you can do. Yeah. They just took him to the neonatal ward, and um, on that first day, I still remember the little sunnies they put over his face because he yeah. was born um, and his skin was so clear. They essentially put him in a sunbed. Yeah, yeah. It's for all the, like um, if if you've ever seen um, like a jaundice baby, you know those like UV lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they hang out under for a couple of hours or whatever. He was under there for about a week, um, and that's it's a liver thing. It's the same thing that happens when your liver fails as you get older. If you know you're unfortunate enough for that to happen, it's the same concept. It's just in reverse. Yeah. Okay. And it must have been about the second night. Like my mum and dad turned up. Mm. Um, and yeah, your parents were such a huge help to us in that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. My parents had flown down because um, they lived in Rocky. They actually caught, like, the last flight out because there was the hurricane going on at the time and they'd shut oh, the, the airport. Cyclone Debbie mm. at yeah, the time. Okay, yeah. yeah, Cyclone Debbie was going on at the time and they'd shut the airport just after my um, parents' flight left Rocky. Yeah, right. And then um, 
yeah, I remember like both our parents came and mm. saw the and saw in the room, and only two people at a time can go in as well. Yeah, yeah, and okay, yeah. You literally have to. Um, it was all before COVID times, but you had to scrub your hands from your fingertips right up to your wrists, right it's, up here to your arm. It's due to the fact of in the last four or five weeks of a standard pregnancy, that's when a lot of the mother's immune system passes to the baby. That's where they get their fat comes in and everything like that. And they get a whole lot of, um, I guess, oomph to be born yeah. <laughs> to support them through that first sort of six to 12 weeks. So because obviously he didn't get that last four or five weeks, he was nowhere near it. He had nothing in terms of an immune system, absolutely yeah. nothing. And further to that is he didn't even have like enough organ function to fight anything off. And all of these kids are the same. They're all in this. That's why it's in this big sterile room. There's like six kids to a room. They're all in humidity cribs. There's insane cleanliness guidelines. Yeah that have to be followed so strictly because it's literally a matter of life and death. If you come in and you're like, oh, I've just, you know, I've just got the sniffles, I'll just go blow my nose, it's fine. Absolutely not because the reality of that is is you will kill a baby. Yeah. And that's just the morbid reality of that. You will kill someone because yeah. you were too selfish to stay home. Yeah. So we kind of had it all all up against us at the time. Mm. So yeah. we, we I had... obviously wasn't working. You weren't working. No. This kid is in hospital when... Like, everything happened so damn fast. So not only do we have to deal with the fact that there was a prem baby. Mm. Um, the stresses of both of you is not working. Yeah. Yeah, we literally had to figure out how to pay rent. Yeah. Um, and put fuel in the car and things like I mean, that. Your parents bought us groceries and things like that when we were really suffering. Yeah, and then um, they worked out the bus timetable. So mm. because parking was so expensive, and I still to this day, it drives me nuts. Oh, yeah. We so, were spending like $40 a day on parking. It's $40 a day for parking to go and see your child in NICU. The hospital were pretty good. They gave us... They were, um, yeah. There's, there was that social worker at the hospital that she was most helpful. She she gave us heaps of stuff. She gave us um, like Woolies vouchers. She gave us parking vouchers. She gave us train vouchers. Like all of this stuff because, you know, we'd sort of just gone... This is the situation we're in. Like we're we're doing the best we can here. I've got a few questions for both of you. Yeah. Um. Sure. Obviously, you can answer them separately. Yeah. First question being, what was the scariest moment? Like, like, what was the scariest moment for you? I guess for me, um, was when he moved. Did he move to special care? He moved to special. No, he must still be in in the the NICU when they had um. The room, they had all the babies, so there's six babies to a room. Katie was explaining mm-hmm. that before. Yeah. I guess the the heartbreaking thing was, this is how you knew a baby was about to die in that room. Or had already passed. Or had already passed, is you'd go in, sit down, you sit with your baby. They would come in and put like a false wall up, mm. and you knew. Once that false wall was up, you knew that, it was to create privacy for, for that family mm. yeah. because obviously you're in a shared room. They put up these false walls and they sort of circle it around that crib and, like, you can sort of see through the cracks of it a little bit. You can see, like, the whole family's usually in there, that sort of thing, saying their goodbyes. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was rough. Mm. And you watched. So the sad part was all five other babies in Liam's room passed away at some point. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I stopped um, making friends with the parents. It was too painful. Yeah. Yeah, you can't make friends you can't with make the parents friends at there. all. Yeah. Um, and basically watching these five other babies pass away in front of your eyes and looking down and your baby is still fighting for life mm. was probably the most heartbreaking uh, yeah. part of the whole process. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so like in the back of your head too, you're thinking like... Am I next? Yeah. Are we yeah. next? Is, is this what's going to happen next? To add to that, probably the scariest part for me was um, I think we were about two, two and a half months in or something. No, about two months in. And remember, they called us at like two in the morning because he'd had mm. he was really sick at the time. We knew he wasn't well. We knew he had a really bad bowel infection. Like he's back on the ventilator breathing for him. Like he was, he had gone downhill and we knew that he wasn't in a good shape. And they rang us at about 2 in the morning, woke us up and said, look, medically, we've done all that we can do. Highly recommend coming in and just being with him because it's up to him to get through the night. 
Yeah, right. So we got up, got dressed, drove into the city. Because we lived out in the suburbs. Yeah. Drove into the city and just waited with him. Just held his little hand and sat by his crib and just waited. That Do was you think that's a conversation you'll always remember getting that phone call? Mm, I think so. Just like, because obviously for me, like just hearing that now... If that was me in your position, like, the first thought would be, like, like, is this it? Like, is- Yeah, well, that's it. Because, like Scott said, like, it's, um, you watch all everybody else passing away around you and these little innocent children that they've, they've run out of fight. And yeah. you're watching your kid fighting for his absolute life. And then you get that phone call going, medically, there's nothing left for us to do. It's up to him. Yeah. You be like, this is it. I'm next. Yeah. It's my kid's turn. Yeah. Do you, uh, would you say that was one of your scariest moments? Yeah, 100%. That phone call. That's pretty tough. Like, I couldn't imagine being in this position. Quite, it's hard enough being emotionally drained in a day-to-day adult life with mm. so much going on. And especially, like, I'm speaking as an adult without kids. So I can't imagine trying to be a parent as well as juggling everybody else's emotions around you and then focusing, like, there, there'd be a lot going on. I think it, what actually makes it easier, and it's 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 sort of a weird concept because it's obviously a very emotionally charged place and you do have your breakdowns, but when it comes to making medical decisions because you have to make a lot of them, you have to take the emotion out of it and you're sort of, you're sort of in crisis mode for that entirety of, like I know we were, we were in crisis mode for like the full three and a half months or whatever, just... Literally sleeping with one eye open. One eye open. Like, we had to take the emotion out of it of let's make logical decisions to keep this kid alive. Yeah. Like, they sort of... For for a perfect example is they had to give him a couple of blood transfusions. And on the first one, they came to us like, this is the risks, what are your beliefs, Um, all that sort of thing. And now, now that the kids are much older, we would sit down and be like, right, what is the best course here? What do we think is going to be best for our child? At that point in time, we were like... Will he die without this? Yes. Where's the form? Let yeah. me sign it. And a big shout out to Kirsty. Mm, Kirsty um, Divine, Doctor Kirsty Divine, was, who was Liam's NICU doctor. Uh, uh, yeah, absolute she angel was fantastic throughout mm. the whole. Pro- Actually, and I didn't realise this either at the time because at the time I remember saying to Katie, "Oh, these midwives and nurses, they're great." The, you know, they made us feel, I guess, so welcome and made it feel... Yeah, NICU nurses are a different breed. <laughs> but they're actually nuns. They're up. I had no idea. I think it was one day we were looking up at the door and there was a cross. Mm. Um, well, it there. was the martyr, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. It wasn't so much the younger ones, but the, there was a couple of older nurses that we had that, yeah, still referred to as sister. Yeah. Yeah, they called each other sister and mm. that was another giveaway. So... Katie and I asked the, the, the silly question. question. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure Mount Morgan Hospital's still like that at the moment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I know a family friend of mine, his nan worked out there and yeah. Yeah, she was addressed as a sister, yeah. head sister, I think it was. It's it's crazy, which I guess you kind of would want to be feeling welcomed like yeah. going into that situation because... 100%. But you've got so, so much emotions going through, let alone just, you know, the fact that you've got a like a waiting game ahead of you um, and, you know, it being told it's 50-50. I think if you had anything else going on, it'd be so hard to keep that headspace where it needs to be to be able to be there f- to support each other, I guess. That was a big one, is... um. We sort of did because Scott had, like, he'd found a job halfway through Liam's stay, which was brilliant. We were really excited about that. But what it did do is it created not a divide but very much a separate way of dealing with it. So I was there with him every day and he would have to go to work. So he would have to, like, I guess switch everything off of this massive personal thing going on to learn a new job. Yeah. Whereas I'm over here post-pregnancy so you're already a mess both physically and emotionally and I've got a kid in NICU I've got to make all of these crazy decisions that you shouldn't ever have to make as a parent yeah and I'm doing it by myself yeah it's tough and I I think that's the reality of like at the end of the day especially nowadays if you you've got to have an income like there's Mm. there's no no in-betweens of in that situation, one of you has to be paying for rent, you know. Yeah, rent, well, that, this bills. is right. This, and because we obviously 
when he left his job because they were so unfair to him, we were like, yeah, we've got months to go. Yeah. We, we're we good. Like, this is not a big deal right now. Leave that job. Find a new one. Yeah. And a big shout-out, too, to the Salvation Army. Yeah, um, we, 100%. We relied on them. In, in times of crisis, they were there. You know, we had no idea. We had no idea who to turn to or what to do. And I remember we reached out to the Salvation Army. They take Actually, they take you into like a little room mm. and a social worker comes in and they ask you, right, what do you need? And Katie and I were very reserved at the time. Um, like, yeah, we you were, know us probably better than anybody, right? Yeah. If we yeah. are in trouble or something like that. We we'll, rely on ourselves first. Pretty much, right? Yeah. Actually breaking down. And telling the social worker, like, I had no job. Katie's got no job. We had savings. Um, but it wasn't enough to survive. Rapidly running out, yeah. Like, by the time you pay for, you know, fuel, trains, all that sort of stuff, it depleted very, very quickly. Mm. And actually asking that social worker for help, I get, again, was another hard part. And even when they came to our house... Um, yeah. You know, our house wasn't like a rundown shack or anything like that, and it wasn't a beautiful mansion. It was, it was a modest house. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a modern modest modern modest, modest <laughs> house. Wow, carrying the words out. And like him walking in, I felt terrible because it, you know we lived in this modern house, and we're asking for help. And he he was a Kiwi fella as well, and yeah. he didn't even blink. Like we had told him our story, the predicament that we were in, and what we needed, and he got up, gave Katie this massive hug, shook my hand, and put vouchers on the table. So we had $500 worth of Woolworths, yeah, Coles vouchers. Buy food. We had fuel vouchers, all that sort of stuff, just to get us through. Rent in Brisbane, you yeah, it's expensive for, yeah. now. It was still expensive then. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was another, I guess, another hard part was, you know, opening yourself up to to get the help. Yeah, well, that, yeah. you know, it puts you in a more vulnerable situation and I mm. guess pride comes into a lot of it and I think in times like that you, um, you've you just got to let that pride go and just be like oh, okay, th- th- this yeah. is where we're at like we need help like there's no it was yeah it was very much like look in the last seven days our entire life has fallen apart yeah and if we fast forward to you know like we I, I remember getting out or them making the decision to move him from the NICU to over to special care special care um wasn't so scary uh, but it was still quite confronting but, but was, just seeing that progression you know he was going from being the sick little baby who we needed couldn't even touch you couldn't touch him you couldn't anything um to then him going to special care was somewhat of an achievement it mm. was i was we were all sort of we're really excited about him going over to special care and everything like that because it was it meant little things that a lot of people take for granted. Like, we hadn't yet bathed him because he was too fragile, his skin was too thin, he was attached to too many things. That was yep. By the time he'd made it to special care, he was only on, they call it high-flow breathing support, and it's, it's much less invasive than what he was on before with the ventilator and the CPAP machines and all that sort of thing. So it meant that we could, he just had a little tube and we could take him over to the bathtub and actually give him a bath. Yeah. Little things like that were just such an achievement. Yeah. And and I guess bathing him for the first time would be Mm. such a special moment too. Do you think that you've had a good communication channel throughout this time? Absolutely. I, Mm. other than where we are now, uh, back then was probably what ha- we had to. We had yeah. to, you know. It we- was it was good communication because we had to put emotions aside. Like there was times where I was frustrated and I directed that frustrated frustration at him and I'm sure he did the same thing back to me. But we had to put everything aside. Like, I mean, everything aside. Yeah. Your feelings yeah. didn't matter at the time. Didn't it was- matter. It was about Liam. I don't care if you're mad at me. You don't care if I'm mad at you. We have a problem to solve. We need to talk about this. Yeah. Actually, another great, um, while we're on the subject, I guess, of communication, um, during Liam's um, stay in NICU and special care and things like that, Katie's uncle had passed away at the Mm. same time. Yeah. And I remember getting, Katie rang me while I was at work and said, you know, my uncle's just passed away in Rockhampton. Um, We need to be there for mum and dad. Um, because it was so sudden and 
it was that was a tragic time as well. Yeah. So not only did we have the whole NICU stuff going on, but then having to deal with Katie's uncle passing away was a whole different ball game. Liam couldn't be breastfed while he was in um, NICU, so Katie was just like mother cow basically. She had and was pumping milk, and we were putting it into snaplock bags and freezing it. So, so he it, he had to be um, tube fed. He had he was too young to have the sucking motion that babies have. Yeah. So he had a tube. So yeah, I, okay. I couldn't feed him at all. Yeah. Katie was the one that made the joke about the cow, by the way. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, we he did feel like a bit of a dairy cow. <laughs> <laughs> we had to drive to Rockhampton. What do we do? We've got Liam and NICU. We need to be in two places at once. Um, and obviously a, you couldn't take Liam with you. So. No, because he was no. still in hospital. And but, we, he only had a certain amount of milk supply with him at the hospital. So we he had enough milk to last 48 hours. No, it wasn't quite 48. It wasn't quite two days. It wasn't quite two days, right? So About a day and a half. I left work at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, raced home, packed a bag, rang um, my mum and dad and said, right, this is the situation we're in. And my mum... She didn't even... I don't even think she caught a breath. She was she, a saint. She said to both Katie and I, she goes, don't worry, don't stress. We will sit up at the hospital with him yeah, because and be with him while you're gone. It was it was a lot of anxiety around, like, he didn't know that we were there, but yeah. the anxiety of him not having anyone there yeah. was so real. Yeah. And so mum and dad sat up at the hospital while we drove, and it's, you know, seven... Seven hours here, seven hours back. Um, we left three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. By the time mum and dad got to the hospital and we had said our goodbyes, um, in the back of our car, we had all, we had our clothes, funeral clothes. We had an esky that looked like you'd put someone's kidney or liver in it to <laughs> transport like it. it. Um, I like it. Katie's yeah. um, mobile breast pumping machine. So I'm driving the car and Katie is pumping milk Actually, it sounded more like, yeah. So can you imagine that? Yeah, just pumping the milk. In the passenger seat, titties out, pumping away. I like it. So Katie's, yeah, essentially milking herself. And we're putting the milk into the esky. So then by the time we get to Rockhampton, and by this time it's midnight. Yeah. um, We've got to get up at six o'clock that morning to go to the the funeral. Mm. Yeah. so we drove, yeah, so we're in Rocky, still pumping. Um, we get up, we go to the funeral. Katie's still pumping while we're at the funeral too. That's that's commitment right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, Yeah, we did, did our bit at the funeral. We went to the wake, and I'm not kidding, we were at the wake for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah, not very long. We were like, oh, we, we have to go. So we quickly got a photo of, every, of all the family and literally got in the car, drove back to Brisbane. We got pulled over at Marmor. At uh, someone, one of us had an expired license, and it had, and it had flagged up as the cop had dri- driven past. You had, no, you had the expired license. I had the expired license, and as we yeah pulled up, the cop pulled us over. Katie's got like full tit out, <laughs> pumping, still in funeral clothes. With the esky in the back seat again, it looks like it's transporting body parts, <laughs> and he pulls us over and is like, "What is happening?" So, yeah. <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and so, you know, I get out of the car. You know what I'm like when I get pulled over. Mm. Like, mate, we've just been to a funeral uh, for Katie's uncle. We're trying to get back to Brisbane to be with our child that's in hospital. He goes, "What's in the esky?" I said, "Milk." Breast milk. He was great. Like he, we explained the story, and he gave us like a day pass to get back to Brisbane. He's all right. You've got you know eight hours to get back to Brisbane. Um, Once you get back, you need to go and renew your driver's license. And we got back to um, Brisbane. Must be he was on his last bag. Yeah, it was just before midnight. Mm, that, That that was some of the crazy stuff that we had to do in between. But if we fast forward to He's gone to special care, and then there was the day that he had to leave hospital. That again was another another rough day. So, um, my mum had m- made up a t shirt uh, for Katie. I can't even remember what the words are. I've on still the got t-shirt. the t shirt. I've still got it. You've still got the t shirt. Yeah, yeah. No, the t shirt that she made me, the t shirt that she made him was a little onesie, 
and it just said NICU graduate, which was super cute. That was his going home outfit. And the one that she made me was, I'm a premie mum, what's your superpower? Pre-collar. Mm, um, that is. That's really beautiful. That was, then, what a terrifying day that was. The day you come home. Mm, but we did it. We got him home and he came home on bottled oxygen. So he had like, you know, like the old people in mm. hospital. Not old people, but anyone in hospital that, yeah, they have the little prongs up the nose. And he was on the gas bottle for a, right up to his first birthday. Week before his first birthday. Week before his first he birthday. He got the clearance to have it out. And that was because like the ventilator that he was on, it saved his life. It breathed for him and everything like that. But... It destroyed his lungs in the process, so he developed yeah. neonatal lung disease, which is basically like dead lung tissue. It will never grow back. It will never work again. We just had to wait for his lungs to grow big enough. Enough new lung tissue had formed for him to breathe without the tubes, which yeah. took about a year. And then, yeah, so wherever he went, the gas bottle went. Mm-hmm. So we had like a portable one, and then we had two big ones at home. We um, did a, with my family, so there was my mum, my dad, my brother, my sister, couple of our friends. My younger brother, a couple of our friends. We did a big camping trip out to Somerset oh, Dam. Yeah. And we had the gas bottle centred in the middle of our campsite. And that's where you knew where Liam was. You just follow the cord. And <laughs> yeah, this big long green cord that was about, it was about five metres long or something like that. So that was his radius. <laughs> you just follow the green cord, you'd find the baby. <laughs> and mum and dad bought a little police boat for them for him as well. So Because we're all out in kayaks and swimming and having fun, right? Mm. And to for him to come out in the water with us, he had this little police boat. So imagine this little prem baby. Well, he was, what, eight, nine months old by He's about point. nine months old, but he looked like a newborn. And he was just lying in this little police boat, hooked up to the oxygen tank, and, yeah, Dad just let him go out a little bit. And, and then, he was living his best life, yeah, wasn't pulled, he? He was so chill. Boat back in. It was great. <laughs> it was good fun. And then the milestones came, you know, when he, just before his first birthday, he was off the oxygen tank. Oh, there was a few. There was, like, in that first year, like, Things like um, he was cleared on his last brain scan, about eight months old, of CP. Um, he, CP for those. Oh, cerebral palsy. Yep. So he was put in the low-risk low category for that. He, at seven months old, finally had formed all the blood vessels in his eyes, which usually happens just after birth, which was another weird milestone for him. Just weird things that you don't think about. Like it, it, it's not the traditional things like they're sitting up, they're holding things, they're looking around. Crawling, smiling, crawling, all that. Like, he didn't walk till he was two. No one cared. Yeah. Because we knew all of these other milestones he had to meet first. Yeah. And then um, the next challenge was, like, we were moving from Brisbane to Rockhampton for my job. Mm. And then well, Katie rang me about a week. I was in Brisbane by myself and Katie was already up here. So she got... Just for context, this, this was about, we'd moved, Liam was 18 months old. Yeah, we like. kind of skipped a little bit there. Yeah. And then, yeah, Katie rang me to tell me she was pregnant. <laughs> so we had baby number two coming. But then having to then navigate another child plus deal with all this, you know, because he's still like, he's six years old now. Mm. And there's he's still stuff seven. that you've got to got to deal with. You know, there are things that have come up like his schooling. Um, we still see OTs and physiotherapists and things like that. Struggles yeah. at school still. and But he'll get there. Like, yeah. he, he's caught up. By massively, and I've said to his teachers, he's about. I reckon he's two terms behind where he needs to be, but now I think he's just a term behind. So as he's getting older, he's catching up. Yeah. And now, as you know, Joe, there's no stopping him. No. One, one of the biggest arguments that you continue to have from the day they're born right up until they're, you know, teenagers, I suppose. And that is that every single person we have run into go, oh, he's not doing this or he's not doing that for kids of his age group and yada, yada, yada. And it's so frustrating because it's like, well, I understand that he's not keeping up with kids of his age group at this point in time, but look at how much he has done Mm. that they didn't have to do. That boy walked through hell and out the other side, kept a smile on his face. He's the happiest little boy, fights every damn day where other kids don't have to do it, and he's only a little bit behind them. Yeah. Like, let's acknowledge that. I think that's just something that's wrong with some people is they don't like to see, like, where they've come from. Yeah, and I still have that argument to this day, and I will go to war for that child over that particular topic. Mm, I think it's a hard one. I've, like, I know what that's a little bit like. 
coming from my background, but mm. I just think that some people are just shallow-minded and they don't, they don't want to look at their story and where they've come from and, you know, how hard the struggles really are. And they the, the comment is always, well, we just have to look at the facts. I'm like, that's fine. That's what I'm doing. You're only looking at half the facts. You only have half the picture. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I agree. You're looking at him at face value right now. Mm. Yep, he's behind other kids. He is not up doing the same things that other kids can do. And that's okay. Oh, 100%. It's okay because look at what he's had to overcome to get to where he is. Yeah, now nowadays you can't even stop him. No. I think the biggest thing to take out of this is, um, I think anybody listening that's going through this at the moment, is be open-minded as a couple going through this, I think. It's hard. That's yeah. what I'm taking out of it is um, you've got to be able to be willing to work together and like you said, put everything aside, it's, everything um, else you're going through to be able to work together to overcome it. Oh, it's, look, and there were probably times where I pissed Katie off because there were days where, like to start our morning, Katie's up early, she's gone to the hospital and she sat all day there with Liam. I've gone to work and then after work I'd go to the hospital to pick Katie up, spend some time with Liam, and again we'd be there all hours of the night, and I'd be sitting there playing Angry Birds sometimes. But that's your coping. coping. Mm. Yeah, and I, you can see the frustration on Katie's face, but again, that's just the way that, yeah. You yeah, know, you dealt yeah. with what was going you on in your brain. I yeah. didn't understand it at the time because obviously I was in my own little world, but yeah. looking back on it, like I couldn't always talk about this topic because I did so much bottling. And just hating on the time. But life goes on and you look back and you reflect and you sort of just go, well, that was how he needed to deal with it at the time. And this will definitely be something that makes Liam who he is. Mm. Um, And I think that's what people forget is no matter whether you're a premier kid or, you know, you've grown up differently to someone else, the things that happen to us in life are the things that make us who we are later on in life. And it affected Scott and I too in... Probably different to how a lot of other situations would affect a couple and has what effect that that has on your relationship. Like, it's very easy when we've had that much pressure on us at the time of, you know, family members passing away, child in the queue, no jobs, no money, trying to travel, our entire world falling apart, all of this stuff. Our housemate moved out during this time as well. Yeah. We had so much pressure on us and it is so easy to break. Yeah. It is so easy to break under all of that pressure. We didn't at this point. Yeah. That came later on. It did. It came later on. It was like a delayed reaction. Do you think that... um... It was actually after our second kid was born and because we didn't really have a break, we went from like... Trying, with- trying to catch up with everything and Liam was home and the mountain of hospital appointments and the stress that that had on everybody and the adjustments that we had to make in our home life. We managed to get through all of that and then we had to move halfway across the state, move, pack up all of our shit and go and then we were having another kid come along and then all of that kind of thing and then, like, it broke us. Yeah. It broke us. We our relationship just could not handle one more layer of bullshit. Yeah, and we broke. Do you think that's because you, at some point, you stopped communicating? Yeah, I think that was part of it. Yeah, I think that was definitely part of it. And you know what? We're not even we're we're not alone in this. No, Um, you know, Katie has got you know how we say we try not to make friends in the NICU, um, but we did follow another little boy's journey (coughs) who made it through. And they're not together either. Um, you know, once they had done their journey and, you know, it was a few months after that that actually, she, I think she had another baby mm. and they, yeah. They, yeah, it was another gone their one. separate ways. Another one of those unfortunate, like the relationship just cracked under the pressure. And I don't think that that's, it's not an individual thing. It's not that someone did something wrong. It's not that there was a bad thing that happened that one of you did. It was so much bad things happened to you. Yeah. Like, you as a couple. Yeah, it's a collective. It's a collective, yeah. It's not that, you know, there's a million and one reasons to break up, but there's not, it's not one of those situations. It's sort of just like, I cannot handle the pressure anymore as a couple. Yeah. And you just crack. And, like, we weren't ashamed to... Life just got too much, yeah. To talk about things. Like, we Mm. um, went through some counselling... Yeah, we had a lot of really candid and deep sort of conversations. Together and separately and, you know, we were honest with each other, I mm. guess, um, on where we were at. And I guess that's where we are t- 
today is, you know, there's nothing that I can't not say. Yeah, it's just it, it's it, that that whole journey, and then the delayed reaction, and then to where we are now is completely. Actually, moved out for a little while and lived separately, and continued to obviously raise our kids and everything like that. But during that time, I think a lot of what's the word I'm looking for? I guess self building. A lot of the stuff that we'd bottled down. Self-healing. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that, like, all of that, those nasty emotions, all the roller coaster stuff, all of the bad memories, all of the stuff that you had to push aside in the, you know, two to three years previous to this. Just arrived to the surface. Just all erupted at the same time. And during that time, we, like, there was a few days where we would just headbutt until, like, Mm. all day long, just headbutting over dumb topics that would just, we'd had pushed aside for so long. And part of, like, all of that was coming to the resolution, I suppose. And I think that's... Finally putting the knives down, listening to each other, going, oh, my God. Like, we walked the same journey. It just cracked the pair of us, and we needed some time to just walk away, have our time apart, you know, get out what we needed to get out, look in the mirror, all of that stuff. And reevaluate whether, you know... Reevaluate everything, yeah. Whether yous were going to stay together and... Yeah, oh, I don't, like, there wasn't a day that went past that we didn't really talk. Whether yeah. it was fighting or not, we oh, were still no, talking. I remember. <laughs> we were Guys still talking, there. yeah. <laughs> but no, we're, I, we were, I think we're fortunate, you know, we, we managed to go through all of this stuff, and yeah, it broke us for a little while, but we managed to work through it. But yeah. it, that's where we're one of the fortunate ones, because that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. No, Sometimes I, it's just too much for people. Yeah, and you see, it, it happens more than what people realise. Mm. Um, you know, when things are really tough, we tend to still bottle it up and then, it, you know, whether it's a year or two years down the track, it explodes and mm. then there's more damage that comes out from that, something that could have maybe been communicated a little bit better or dealt with differently to stop that explosion, but it's happened and you are very fortunate that you were able to do what you needed to do to self-heal and mm. reevaluate everything. And, you know, here we are today working really well together and it's really I know we started to be a the business together. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be through both, well, Scotty and then yourself, Katie, you know, we've all had really deep chats yeah. about life and you have been there through some of my struggles over the last couple of years and yeah. I think that's what it's all about if you can kind of work together and keep learning with each other is the key to have a successful relationship. And that's mm. that's the moral of the story. You know, you, you have these these times in your life, life where... Life is going to happen to you. Yeah, life happens. And it's what you do and what you say and your actions and all that is is what makes or breaks you, right? Yeah. It's, there's no shame in saying, you know, okay, well, this is where I'm at. Mm. You sit down, have a conversation, then you decide whether, you know, this is right for you or part ways, you know. There's, there is no shame in that. That's right. This has uh, been one of our biggest Long, podcasts. Longest 57 minutes. Um, <laughs> but, again, and I could shout, again, another thing I could shout from the rooftop is, you know, the Marta Mothers Hospital in Brisbane could not have mm. been any better. Excellent. Um, they yeah. were great. I actually, we've been back there once or twice. I took Liam back when he was about six months old, like corrected, so about nine months old overall, just to take him back so that they could, like his doctor could see where he was now and all that, because you, you you form a little family in there. Is his doctor still there now? No, she's moved. I'm not sure what hospital she's at, but um, she's moved on from, I'm not sure where she's gone to now, but... Um, Maybe whatever, that's whatever something we can do and track her down and see if... I would love to, I would track, love her down to track her down and, and talk about her journey. 100%. Um, yeah, she... I'll bring her in on Zoom and have a conversation mm. about yeah. where Liam's at now. And, yeah. and she was such a cool... She was just, just, just a cool, a cool person, person general, yeah. You know, she, yeah. she played... She almost played three roles, I guess. She was our doctor, our friend, and the psychiatrist all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, um, because the amount of times that, like, you know, she had to have tough conversations with us during that time, and, and she wasn't afraid to have those she wasn't tough afraid. conversations either. Like, she, she just it is what it, it is. What it is, really. Yeah, she yeah. wasn't afraid to have those tough conversations, but she wasn't a dick about it either. And she was very much like, you know, if something needed to be done, we talked about it. She explained it very clearly, not like a lot of doctors do, where it's just chalk scratch and they mm. use big words that nobody understands. Yeah. 
it wasn't like that. It was just like us talking now. It was just like talking to a friend. Yeah. And even in those, you know, brief moments of, you know, where you crack a little bit and you have a couple of tears and that sort of thing where you're trying to hold all your shit together, like, she would give me a hug and just be there. Yeah. I think that's, sometimes that's what, what you need, though, is... 100%. You don't need a doctor. in the Well, in this circumstances, you don't really need a doctor that's just a doctor. You need someone that's going to go above and beyond. Mm. Because I it's so emotional draining. Yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that if... If we did not have that woman as Liam's doctor, he wouldn't be with us here today. Yeah, right. That's a big statement. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I wholeheartedly believe that. Well, shout out to her and um, all the doctors out there um, and nurses that do a wonderful job and go above and beyond their roles um, because I couldn't imagine how hard some of their jobs are and some of the things they have to see and go through themselves yeah so a massive shout out to you and thank you for being such an amazing people 100 percent. katie thank you for coming in today thanks for having me guys thank you thanks it's been lovely talking to you yeah you're listening to the scott and jai podcast And that was the podcast for another week. Massive thank you to Katie for coming on the podcast and sharing her story. And this next week, we are heading to the Walk and Talk down at Yapoon. Jai? Walk and Talk is doing a collab up at Yapoon Main Beach near the Surf Club on the 16th of September, 7am to 9am. Ladies and gentlemen, Walk and Talk has teamed up with Conscious Kit to provide everyone with an event. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, you've, you've been to one so far and you've seen what it's like just with Walk and Talk and the lads from Walk and Talk. Um, and, you know, again, like, they're just blokes from all walks of life. Um, and Walk and Talk, are, I think they're, you know, great great place for blokes to get around and share stories and what better way to um, collab with Everybody, so ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and also, we're going to follow the Rugby World Cup, so we'll give you all the results for the Rugby Union World Cup next weekend, along with the NRL. Up the Wars! Up, up the Broncos! We're going to also find some funny news stories, hopefully for next week. So Yeah, well, hopefully next week we can also get a few of the boys to, you know, share some of their hard stories and then put it all together through the podcast and let you guys listen to some of the stories I had to share that's it so if you want to get in contact with the podcast it is the you can email us scott and jai podcast at outlook.com.au or you can go to our podcast website scott and jai podcast.podbean.com you can look us up on youtube facebook and instagram at the Scott and Jive Podcast. Let's see if we can double our listeners for next week. Uh, please like and share on Facebook and Instagram. And we will be back next Sunday. Thank you for your time. Thank you. That was the Scott and Jive Podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week. Thanks for downloading the Scott and Jai Show, Mates Helping Mates podcast. Listen to the boys live on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. on Radio X. How do you listen to Radio X? Go to radiox.com.au and click listen live. Turn up the volume with Radio X. Your ultimate rock destination. Tune in today at radiox.com.au. Radio X.